I got a secret. You want to know it? Of course you do. And by the time I tell you the secret, it's going to be all over Monk's Corner. Because you know secrets travel around the world faster than you can tie your shoe, right? But I got a secret for you this morning. I think you're going to like the secret. Before I tell you the secret, I want to read Philippians chapter 4 to you. Paul says, and it's starting in verse 10, he says, I what? What does he say? I did what? Rejoice. I rejoiced. Now, I want you to understand something. This is the 20th time that he uses that word joy or rejoice in this letter. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and greatly, because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but you lacked the opportunity to show it. Paul's saying early on, you supported my ministry. You financially helped, you physically helped, you emotionally helped, you spiritually helped. Early on, there was opportunity for that. And then you kind of lost the opportunity because I went away and I started planning and starting other churches. He says, but now he's saying thank you for the actions that, that accompanied the way that the church felt about Paul and how Paul felt about the church in Philippi. And he says this in verse 11. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances that I find myself. Other versions will say this. I have learned the secret to being content no matter what the circumstances. In any, in all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether I'm well fed or I'm hungry or whether I'm in abundance or in need. He says, I learned, I've learned the secret. It's a secret of contentment. He says that there, there is a secret to being content. It, it is a secret of contentment that no matter what circumstances you go through, there's contentment. Not happiness, but true contentment that never goes away. You, you find yourself in this place of just, it's good. It is all good. You've ever been in that place before? It's just like, this is good. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm moving in the direction that I need to be. But he says, if you want to understand this contentment, you want to learn to live in this contentment, then you have to learn because he said, I have learned the secret of being content. Think about a baby. Babies aren't always content, are they? And they're typically not content in the worst moments of time, like, I don't know, three in the morning, right? In church, some people say, by the way, if you bring your baby in here and your baby cries, we don't care. Now, if they start to have an exorcism or something, just take them out, get them calm, you can bring them back. Because I, I, I feel, and maybe you do too, but a church that you don't have the voices of children and babies in it is a dying church. So we're okay with that. We'll, we ain't worried about it, and if people are worried about it the way it looks like on video, they'll just get over themselves. But it'll be fine. But babies, they're either hungry, they're tired, or they're crying. And ladies, I know what you're thinking. That's my husband. But when you, when you meet their needs, they're okay for a little while. Right? And then it starts again. And, and they're fine for a moment, and then they're not fine. And what they're learning is how to be content, how, to, how to, to get better at that. And then we grow up to be adults, and sometimes we, we find ourselves in these situations where we get a a letter from Paul saying, hey, you, you got to learn how to be content. Like, you've got to learn how to be content no matter what the circumstances. 
See, as you learn contentment, what you're really doing is learning how to be mature in who Jesus is. Because it's only in him that we find this true, this true contentment, because he's a thing that is here today, today, and forever, right? So he's not, he's not going to flee. He's not going to go anywhere. So Paul says, you got to learn it. So I'm sharing this with you because I want you to learn this. I want you to know this. And Paul has learned the contentment. He's learned how to be content in abundance because wouldn't you say he's had a lot? When he went into Philippi to start with, he met a lady. What was the lady's name? Anybody remember? Lydia. I know somebody was just saying it. You just were scared to say it out loud. He goes to Lydia's house, who was rich, and, and Lydia provided for him. You know, he went from not being able to eat a good steak to when he converted to Jesus and left Judaism, he was eating steak, right? And so he's had abundance, but he's also been without because there's been moments, even right now in this moment as he's writing this letter, where's Paul? He's in prison. I would say that's having nothing. Because even in that moment of prison, it's not like today where prisoners get food. If, if a family member or someone didn't bring you food to prison, you just didn't eat. And the church in Philippi was making sure that he was taken care of. But Paul's in a place... He's in a place that is without. I mean, have you ever seen somebody who had plenty, but they weren't content? That's us, right? We're talking about ourselves. Where we've had plenty, and it wasn't enough. And we'll find ourselves saying, if I could just have that group of friends, if I could just have that house, and if I could just have that car, I will be happy. And you can go buy a brand new car today. It's not going to change your life. You can be an Uber driver. Maybe you can get some more income coming in, but you can be an Uber driver, but it's not going to really change anything because at the end of the day, it's not going to provide what it is that you're looking for. Let me give you a definition of biblical contentment. Biblical contentment says that it's a state of transcendent peace that comes from joy in the Lord, and this is only by grace. It is a peace that comes... From the Lord, it's a joy that he gives us, and it's only by grace that we get true contentment. Now, this doesn't mean, by the way, that you can't have things. What this means is things can't have you, and there's a big difference. It's a big difference. Can you imagine having this type of biblical contentment, that it transcends peace? Remember what Paul said, that I pray that God will give you a peace that will surpass that will transcend all of your understanding. Could you imagine having that? Can you imagine either being healed from cancer or your cancer comes back and you say, hey, it's good. I'm content. Could you imagine not getting the position that you had applied for or, or the family member that passes away or, or they survive it and you say, I've learned the secret of being content. That is a transcendent Peace. How many of you want that this morning? Every single day we'd want it. There was a guy named Horatio Spafford, and he knew something about life's unexpected challenges. He was a very successful attorney. He was a very successful real estate investor, and he lost a fortune because of the Chicago fires that took place in 1871. Not only did he lose his fortune... Around the same time, his four-year-old developed scarlet fever and died. He's lost everything. And he's thought, 
it might be time for our family just to get away and go get our minds right, and then we can come back and deal with life. So his family goes on vacation, but he has to send his wife and his four daughters on a ship to England because he needs to run back into Chicago to, to finish a few things, but he wanted to go ahead and send the family on ahead. However, while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship was involved in a collision, and it sank, and then more than 200 people lost their lives, including all four of Horatio's daughters. When his wife arrives on the other side, she sends a telegram to her husband that said, I'm saved alone, it's just me, what shall I do? And Horatio immediately set sail for England, and at one point on this voyage, the captain of the ship goes and pulls Horatio and brings him to the bow of the boat. And he says, it was in this spot that your children lost their lives. And Horatio standing over these waters looking down where his children have passed. And God began to give him words of comfort and hope and begin to fill his heart and his mind. And he says these words, he pins them. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot that has taught me to say, you remember, it is well, it is well with my soul. Can you imagine having that kind of contentment? That no matter what life throws at you, good or bad, you can look and say, I have the secret of contentment. It is well with my soul. I'm not going to let the things of the world shake me and, and throw me off. I am content. So what is the secret to being content? Well, we find it in the next verse, and this is a verse that's been off, a lot of times has been mis, misused, and you know this, but it says this in Philippians 4.13. He says, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me, right? Still, you do well by partnering with me in my hardship. Now, here's what Paul's not saying. He's not sitting in a prison cell saying, when you win that national championship, you can do all things through Christ, right? When, when, when you are coming up against something in life that you just want to win, you just quote that verse and it's going to make it happen. That's not what he had in mind, right? How many times have we heard that verse misused? I remember in middle school or junior high school, I also thought I can do all things through Christ and I can be a great football player if I had these certain cleats. They were the Nike Sharks. And if I had those shoes, I was going to be happy and I was going to be an incredible athlete because I'm a Christian and, all, and through Jesus I can do all things. And that was my theological view until the first play of practice where I got a little bit of what you call humility and I found myself laying on my back Staring up at the sky, questioning everything I knew about that verse. Come to find out, you can do all things, but playing JV football was not one of those things. And Paul says the secret is, I don't have this. So I need Jesus to do for me what I can't do for myself. And that takes surrender and that takes humility for, for, to be able to say that. But he says that, if you will just recognize that you can't do this on your own and you have to have Jesus as the center of all of this, you will find true commitment because the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy your contentment. 
And he will throw and do anything he can to take that from you. How many of you can attest to that? That you've had things in life that were going well, and all of a sudden the enemy comes in and knocks you right off of that platform. And you find yourself from a mountaintop surrounded by all the mountains in the valley. And he wants to steal. I want to give you ten enemies of contentment this morning, very quickly. That ten things, if you're not finding yourself content, I will promise you it will be one of these ten things that's robbing that from you. Because I want you to have true contentment. That no matter your lot, no matter what happens, you have contentment. Here's the number one. You will never experience the peace of God until you make peace with God. You, you can put your hope in everything else. And you can think that you have peace. But Jesus is peace. Matter of fact, we call him the prince of peace. And you can only have this through salvation. It's through a relationship. But when you're out there on your own, living life on your own, there is no peace. Because there is no certainty. And we always find peace in the certainty. Isn't that right? Like when I know what's happening around me. This is why as little kids, and some of you as adults, at night when all the lights go out, you need a little night light. Because you feel just a little bit more at peace when you can see around you. Am I right? Right? Because what happens when we sit in dark rooms? We hear things. Like, and then once we hear things, we start imagining things. And the little piece of paper that's blowing in the wind sounds like a 400-pound monster in our room, right? And we just need something to expose it. There's a, there's a peace. And when Jesus is the light, and when, and when Jesus comes into our lives, we make peace with God. The Bible says if you don't know him, you are an enemy of God. Does that sound peaceful? But he says it comes through salvation. And if you don't know Jesus, the best hope that you can have is circumstantial happiness. That's all you'll ever have. It would be happy based off your circumstance. Because how many of you know it takes a phone call to ruin everything? It takes one text for all that happiness to go away. It takes that one dream vehicle, somebody backing into the side of it before all that happiness goes away. Circumstantial. And if you don't know Jesus, that's the best you'll ever have. Because there's no constants. So you'll never experience the peace of God until you, you make peace with God. You also will get your, your joy robbed when there's a lack of gospel confidence. A lack of gospel confidence. If you think what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough, that you've got to add to it, you're not going to ever be content because you're going to keep running and chasing the wrong things. Running and chasing the wrong things. Because you always feel like you have to do something to make things right with God. This is why we walk around with so much shame as believers. I read a, a friend of mine posted this morning. It was very interesting. But he said, it's not that the world doesn't like you because you're a Christian. They don't like you because you don't act like a Christian. Somebody? Because there's a lack of gospel confidence. We don't oftentimes act like Jesus because we don't believe that Jesus can do the things he said he could do. It's almost like we're Christian atheists to a point. And there's got to be a confidence 
that Jesus makes all things right with us. There, there has to be a confidence of knowing that when He died on a cross, it counted for us. Isn't that good news? That because of what He did, we can have relationship with Him. We can have true joy with Him. There is no circumstantial happiness with Jesus. That's a promise. Our confidence has to be in Jesus. Because if we ask ourselves, am I good enough to go to heaven? If we're truthful, the answer is absolutely not. Right? Isaiah says that our sin is like a filthy rag. Our, our, all of our good deeds are, are like a, a filthy rag. Our best actions are like just dirty, filthy rags. But Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out until completion, until the day of Christ. In other words, there's a work that will continually be done in us from the day of salvation until we see Jesus face to face. We call that sanctification. And by the way, we like to compare ourselves. Like, well, this person... That, that believes in Jesus, they look like this, and, and I don't look like that, so I can't. Hey, on the road to sanctification, we're all at different places, right? So don't be judging where you are in your faith by what somebody else, somebody else is and where somebody else is, because we're at different things. And this is why Paul said in, in Philippians chapter 1 is that, that he's beginning the good work in you. It's God doing the work in you. So who's doing the work in you? Okay, you can't do it, he doesn't need your help. He doesn't need my help. Oftentimes, I think God needs my help. And then I realize he doesn't need my help. He has this whole conversation with Job. When Job's like, God, I think you need my help. He said, hey, where were you when I created all of this? <laughs> Good point. I'll get back to what I'm saying. So sometimes we don't, have, we don't have that contentment because there's a lack of gospel confidence. And sometimes we lack the confidence and contentment stole because we believe this is home. And I told you, this is not home. We are passing through. These bodies are rentals. We get brand new ones. I can't wait. I hope it's muscular. I hope it's GQ-ish. But he's, this is not, this is not what we're going to spend forever, y'all. But we sure act like it. We, we, we act like this is, this is it. This is the final thing. But we are just visiting. This all goes away. It all goes away in the end. This is why Paul says, for me to live is Christ to die is gain because I'm not living for the world. I'm living for Him. And if He kill me, glory to God, I get to go to heaven. And if I stay here, glory to God, I get to preach to people about going to heaven. It's a win-win for me because this is not home. He knows that home is with Jesus. If you're a believer, you ready? If you're a believer, this is as close to hell as you ever get. If you're a non-believer, this is as close to heaven as you will ever get. And that's it. Because this is not home. And we act that way. We set up our whole lives and our whole legacies to shine back on us. And this is just temporary. It, I told you this illustration a few weeks ago. It's like you going down to the Holiday Inn Express and staying two nights but telling the Lowe's guy's coming and you got a Lowe's credit card and you're going to remodel the entire room for your, your two-night stay because you don't like the countertops. You're making them granite. What is that person going to look at you and go? You're going to be on own patrol. That's what's going to happen because they're going to call the police. Berkeley County is going to come. They're going to take you out and, and send you to a ward. This is not home. And if you fall in that trap, 
you lose your contentment. You will also have your contentment robbed by complaining. All right, this is going to sting, okay? Already did, okay. We're all guilty, right? I would say I am the chief of this. If it doesn't go the way I need it to go, I'll complain. You don't believe it? Come sit with me on a Saturday when the Gamecocks are on TV. Because all of a sudden, I think I'm the best college football coach in the world. I know more than the team does, and I don't even hang out with them. Right? Not this year, though. National championship. We're going to watch it on TV like everybody else. Whenever we complain, here's what you're saying. I distrust God. The situations that we're in, I don't trust God in this situation. Because you lose sight that God has you. He's allowed you to be in that situation, and he's walking with you in that situation. But we, we don't like the circumstances, so we, we complain. Can I tell you this? The reason we pray is because we bring our frustration to the only one that can do something about it. If you've got a complaint, take it to God. Let him know. Because he's the only one that can do anything, right? And this is difficult. The next time you're ready to complain, remember what the Bible says, that we're to do everything without complaining. I wish that Paul would use a different word instead of everything. Like sometimes you can. If it's about this person, it's all right. Like this is a struggle. Anybody, let's just be honest. Let's take our, stop polishing our halos for just a second. Anybody struggle with this? Okay. Now everybody else is complaining that we admitted it and they did not admit it. So Paul said, Remember to do everything without complaining because you will be like stars among a crooked generation. Remember that when he said that in Philippians chapter 2? Sometimes the best evangelistic thing that you can do, be quiet. Sometimes the best gospel message you can share, just be quiet. Because we complain. We complain about everything that we have. That's a whole other series. Complaining will rob you, but so will fear. So will fear. Because fear causes you to put your trust and your faith in circumstances. And those things change. This is why we need to remember as 2 Timothy 1, chapter 1, verse 7, he says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but he's given you a spirit of love and self-control. Because fear is not a feeling, everybody. Fear is a spirit. And if he didn't give us a spirit of fear, where'd it come from? The enemy. The one who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And too often we allow fear rob us of what God has. You also will get your contentment robbed when you think your religious activity earns you a right standing with God. I want to say that one more time for the people in the back that maybe didn't hear me. But when you, when you think your religious activity earns you a right standing before God. Boy, when I was in high school, if you would have asked me, I had the full check mark. I mean, I had perfect attendance in Sunday school. I got the stickers. That's mainly because our Sunday school teacher was legit. 
Every Sunday he gave us Mountain Dew and Donuts right before the 10 o'clock church service. We also all got in trouble after church, but the donuts and the Mountain Dew were worth it. But I would have told you all these things that I do. Because I was full of myself. And can I tell you, it's hard to be full of yourself and full of Jesus at the same time. One has to die. And I thought I had all this religious activity. I'm doing all these things for Jesus. So I'm exempt from anything else bad that would happen. Or I'm exempt from sin. But I would quickly learn that my contentment was being robbed because I thought I had it all together and I had a fake fake joy. Remember Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, more than that, I also consider everything that I have in loss in view of the surpassing value of just knowing who Jesus is. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and I consider them as dung. Bull skibilon, remember that? So that I may gain Christ. He says, it's not about what I have. It's not about all the religious activity. It's not a matter how much I give to the church. It's not a matter how much I volunteer. It's not how many mission trips I go on, how many miles I've traveled. All that matters is my knowing of who Jesus is. Because serving and giving and all those things are byproducts of knowing Jesus. When we love Jesus and we serve Jesus, those things naturally happen. Right? When you realize that when Jesus said, it is finished, and he was talking about our, our sin being removed so that we could have a relationship with him, you will find true contentment. But the other thing that will rob it, this one might sting a little bit too, but it's entitlement. Now, we don't have that here. <laughs> right? Entitlement. Christianity requires that we do hard things. It requires that we do hard things. And if you think all the good things in your life are going to be handed to you, um, you're going to be miserable. And you're going to be really disappointed. I remember when life, when, when Alice and I had gotten married and, and everything was good, we had jobs and we bought a house and we will never buy another house in Lancaster County because you can't ever sell it. It took eight years to sell it. So there's that. Don't do that. Um, but but they're, they're, we felt entitled that, gosh, we're doing all these things and the blessings are coming and then tragedy hits our family and we didn't know how to, we didn't know how to contain that with our theological views because we had gotten so entitled that bad things won't happen to me because Jesus loves me. He's not going to come after me. I missed that part of Philippians that said that we share in his sufferings. But we have this thing of entitlement that we do hard things. We go through hard things. Becoming a Christian costs you nothing. It is a free gift of grace. Am I right? Being a Christian costs you nothing. Being a Christian costs you your life. Costs you everything. We serve a Savior who says, you follow me. Follow me. Take up your cross. Follow me. Jesus goes to the cross. We can't be so entitled that we have it all figured out. We don't have it all figured out. He says in Philippians chapter 3, not that I have already attained this, but I press on towards the goal. That should be our life verse. I ain't got any of this figured out. People think because I'm a pastor, I got all this stuff figured out. My life is so well put together. <laughs> no. I just hope to get to heaven in Jesus instead of, if he can't say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He says, hey man, that was a great try. It's a good try. Matter of fact, put that on my, my tombstone. He, he tried. 
Because I haven't attained this stuff. You haven't attained this stuff. We press on together as a body towards the things of Jesus to learn more about Him. We do hard things for the sake of the gospel. And I'm not talking about we go on mission trips. Those are great things. You should do those. But some of the hardest things that you will ever do is sacrificing your time to spend with Jesus. To put down the remote from the next episode. It might just be dedicating that time to hear from Him. It might be getting rid of some things. Just to have relationship with Him. We do hard things for the gospel. But your anxiety will too. I mean, y'all heard about that last week. Anxiety will rob you. It will drive you into the ground. That you'll get so anxious. It's a contentment robber. If you've never had an anxiety attack, which is all of a sudden, it just, I just remember one night, man, I was about four years, five years ago, I just all of a sudden felt my chest, felt like my heart was about to bounce out of my chest. I felt like I couldn't catch my breath. I was worried over the situation, and it drove me to the point where I was having this panic attack, so I did what I thought the best thing to do was go outside so my wife and my kids didn't know I was having a panic attack. And I texted somebody in the middle of my panic attack and said, I feel like I'm about to die on my front porch. <laughs> because the pressure was real. The anxiety was real. And that person lovingly, gracefully walked me through all the promises of God to realize I had put my stresses in the wrong place. That I was worried about something that God had already had his hand on. Because stress is when you feel pressed and, and your stress is aimed at something. I'm stressed over this job. I'm stressed over this relationship. I'm stressed over what has happened to me in the past. But stress can also be a good motivator, right? Like, I have to preach every weekend. There's a little bit of stress with that. Because Sundays always come. There's a, I'm already thinking about there's a next Sunday. There's a little bit of stress. So that little bit of stress causes me to say, hey, you should probably write another message. You should, you should get along. You should hear from God. You should write. You should come preach. There, there, there's an anxiety there. But anxiety is when you feel stressed and you have nowhere to put that. So stress is not a bad thing, but anxiety is when you don't know where to put it and you try to, to bounce this thing around. Anxiety is such a contentment robber because it's misplaced fear. When we're filled with anxiety, we look into the future and we presume the worst is going to happen. But Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. He said, worry about today. You ready? Help me with this verse. He says, God makes our mercies new every... You have what you need today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. You worry about today. You... You use that mercy, and I promise you, when you wake up tomorrow, there'll be brand new mercy in your bank account, and you will not overdraw that. He gives us new mercies. This is why he says, Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. That's what he said in Philippians 4, 6-7. through Self-resilience will rob you of your contentment. This is the... Um, I got this. Y'all know what I'm talking about? There have been some projects that I've done around my house that 
you should hire somebody to do. But I got this. And what I meant by that was I can do this. But what I didn't understand I was saying was I got this. I got the bill when it comes because I'm going to have to pay the guy to fix what I broke and make work what I did not, was not able to make work. Anybody else have that problem? Like the time my mower wouldn't work and the spark plug kept popping, the cap kept popping off the spark plug. I was high school. I thought I knew everything because, you know, in high school you know everything. And the, the mower's running and, and, and the spark plug thing, I kept, I was tired of it popping off. So while the engine was shutting down, I grabbed the spark plug thing. You can tell how mechanically inclined I am. And I took the spark plug thing and shoved it down on the spark plug. I don't know if you know this, but there's still electricity running through that. And that was the first time I spoke in tongues. It was right there when that ha happened. When we have this, I got this, and then we, we don't got it. Like, we need somebody to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's why Jesus had to do what it is he had to do. He had to go to the cross because we could not do that. The good news this morning is the king of the universe is our father. And we forget that. That he's our father. We don't, we don't need anything. We don't need to depend on ourselves. Because when we have a problem... Because in, in Dillon, where I grew up, if a kid started talking junk, you would always use this phrase, I'm going to go get my daddy. Is that a Berkeley County thing too? I will get my daddy. And my dad was like 6'3", 350 pounds. We don't look anything alike. But I'm like, I'll go get my daddy. Because I knew daddy would handle it. I didn't get picked on that much to have to worry about that, by the way, but I'm just saying. I just knew that my father would handle it. Our father is the king of the universe, and there's times when Satan wants to rob you, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy from you, and you just need to tell him, I'm going to go get daddy. I'm going to let daddy know, because daddy's going to spank you, right? He's going to take you behind the woodshed, because I read in the book of Revelation that you've been destroyed, enemy, and you have no presence here. You have no, no belonging here. Here's the last thing that'll rob you. And we'll all say that we don't have this problem, but greed will rob you of contentment. And we'll say, well, I'm not a greedy person. And that's the problem with greed is that nobody thinks that they're greedy because we base it off how we feel. Hear me out. You ever just been watching TV and the Sarah McLaughlin video comes on in the arms of the angel and it's all these puppies that need to be adopted? And all of a sudden, for one split second, you're like, man, I should probably call and adopt 10 of these dogs. You know, so they never show cats on there. It's always dogs. Just saying. But in that moment, that moment you're like, you move. Like, I feel, I'm not going to, and then you're like, oh, I'm not adopting. If I got 10 dogs, that would be a mistake. But in a moment, you felt this generosity to help, and you were moved by it. Because everybody feels generous. But not everybody is generous with your time, with your talent, with your treasure. Because there's three postures, especially like when we talk about money. And I know pastors always talk about money. Jesus preached more on money than he did hell, by the way. Um, there are three postures when it comes to like our money. We have the uh, what's mine is mine. That's selfish, right? We have what's yours is mine. We call that what? Stealing. Unless you do it in a group, then it's called socialism. Um, <laughs> Ouch. And then we have what the Bible says that what's mine 
is God. That's what the Bible teaches. It's called stewardship. It's, it's easy to give away something that doesn't belong to you. I tried. I went back into the tech area a few minutes ago to see if somebody had left their keys because I was going to bring their keys up here and I was going to give away whatever those keys went to. Do you think that was going to be hard for me? Don't blow to me? And they drive some nice vehicles back there. I'm just saying. Right? Doesn't belong to me. It's easy for me to give this away. What if we viewed everything that we have, ourselves, our property, our money, what if we viewed everything in that way as that this is not, I'm just holding it for my father. Wouldn't it be a whole lot easier to give away, to help? Wouldn't it be true contentment to know that this stuff doesn't have me, that I have the stuff, and I can do whatever I want to with, with the stuff? Paul says this in, in verse 15, And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel when I left in Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. He's saying, they didn't give anything to help with this movement, but you did. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. He's saying, thank you for being a generous church. And not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. And Paul said, I'm good. I'm good with money. I've got what I need. I've already learned how to be content. So if you send another dime, I'm good. If you don't send another dime, I'm good. Because I am content where I'm at. I am content with my relationship with Jesus. He has provided. And he says, I, I want this from you, though. I want you to feel this way. He says it's about what God does through you when you're generous, is what he's trying to teach them. And he says, but I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Ephroditus, what you provided, it's a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all of your needs. There's a lot of things I want, but there's a difference between a want and a need, right? We're really good with this with our kids. We don't handle it very well as adults. According to his riches and the glory in Christ Jesus. I think the question that Paul's asking here is, are you generous towards God? Because when we bring our tithes and offerings to God, Here's what we're doing. We're worshiping. He says it's a fragrant offering. Fragrant offering. When you give of your money or you give of your time or the talent that God's given you, when you give that, you're, what you're declaring is when you give, you're declaring that He will supply all of your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. The tithe is more than just 10% of our giving. It's also giving of our first and our best. And we all tithe to something. We all give our first and our best to something. We, we put into something hoping that it's going to do two things. It's going to provide for us and it's going to protect us. But it can't do that. Houses can't do it. Jobs can't do it. Cars can't do it. They can't do for me what God can do for me. Again, it's not a sin to have those things. It's a sin when those things have you. Because money lies to us. Money says, if you love me, I will love you back. Right? That's why we're obsessed with it. It'll bring satisfaction and protection, but that is a lie because money can't get you out of... You have a family member that got diagnosed with cancer and they're dying and they're going to die. There ain't an amount of money in this world that will fix that and make you feel better, is there? You can't fix your issues. You can't fix the problems. 
When you begin to trust God in everything in your life, there's this transcendent peace in your life that you cannot explain. You can't. We give of our first and our best. And Paul says this in verse 20. Now to our God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Watch this pastor joke right here. What did he just say? What was that final word? He keeps on going with the sermon. Because he says in verse 21, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings. Especially those who belong. You ready? Especially those who belong to Caesar's household are sending greetings to you. Wait a second. I thought they were pagan. They're not now. Because Paul said, if you want to talk about contentment, don't feel bad for me. Because in Romans chapter 1, I told you I wanted to go to Rome. I was planning on coming as a pastor, but I came as a prisoner instead. But I'm fine. I'm right where God has me. Did you know that 250 years from the time Paul writes this letter, over 50% of the Roman Empire has accepted Jesus as their Lord? Do you think his influence had anything to do with that? Because had Paul not been content that God, I don't going as a prisoner, I'm going as this, and I'm going to do this, and this is the way I want to do it. But he just listened to what God wanted, and God protected him. To 50% of the Roman Empire has accepted Christ as Lord. And when Constantine comes in, we'll make it a national religion. And he says this in verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Here's the secret. Contentment is found in Jesus. Not in your stuff. Not in a church building. Not in your things. It's not found at the bottom of a bottle. It's not found in your marriage. It is found in Jesus and everything flows through that. Everything. My question to you is, do you want true contentment regardless of circumstances? Do you want a joy that cannot be taken from you? Jesus literally offers you. He gives us this invitation. He says in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me all who are weary and all who are burdened, and I will give you, anybody know the word? Rest. Take up your yoke, learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Paul calls it a secret of contentment. Jesus calls it a rest for your soul. And we need rest. Oh, we live, we, I don't have to tell you, we live in a broken world. And it's hard. It's difficult. Because we feel like we gotta, we kind of got to go along with what everybody else is doing. We got to kind of go with the flow. But God has called us to live something completely different. And it takes great faith to be content in Him and nothing else. But the world's going to test you when you walk out of these doors. It's probably testing you right now. Jesus wants to give you the invitation to have rest for your soul. I want to pray for you. We could spend weeks and weeks on Philippians chapter 4. But it really just comes down to Jesus' contentment. And you've got to ask the question, is that where I find my contentment? Or am I looking everywhere else? You're not going to find it anywhere else. You'll find circumstantial happiness everywhere else. And everything else. And they will all fleet and go. But I promise you, the one thing that will be here tomorrow is Jesus. Always has been. Always will be. Alpha, Omega, Prince of Peace. 
you'll bow your heads with me. If you, there's two people, there's two groups of people in here. Those who, who do not know Jesus, you do not have a relationship with him, but today can be the day because he extends this invitation to you. And then there are those who just, everybody's going to struggle with this in some way, shape, or form, but we're just not content somewhere. So if you're, if you're feeling, if this is you and you're saying, I don't feel content at all, I want you to use these next few moments and I just want you to pray. And number one, I, I want you to confess to him that you're not content and repent of not trusting him and hearing what he has to say to you. And for that other group that you, you've never accepted Christ, so you don't, you don't know peace because you, you haven't made peace. Today's the day to surrender your life to Jesus to get that peace. And would you, if that's you, you can just pray this prayer. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Save me. I want your peace. I believe you died for me. And I believe it counted for me. So Lord, forgive me. And thank you for saving me. And if you've prayed that prayer, we want to know because we want to help you on your next step of baptism and get you in a life group. We're going to worship. And I want you to worship out of a place of contentment this morning. I want you to ignore everybody that's around you. And I want you to lift your voices as if it's just you and Jesus. If you just close your eyes, it's just me and Jesus. I'm singing to him. I'm telling him how thankful I am. I'm telling him how my soul is just at rest. And I found it in him. Just focus on him this morning. But let's sing and worship him for who he really is. He is our father, the king of the universe. So Jesus, in this moment, pray that we confess and repent. And may the words off of our lips this morning be as a fragrant offering to you. And I pray these things in your name. Amen and amen.